A few my you've tuned into Pacific Ways from RNZ Pacific, coming up on our show. Pacific Island nations have always shown leadership when it comes to fighting for climate justice, not just for our people, but people across the world. A new international climate report is being called a survival guide for humanity, but how will it help the Pacific? Also, everything was just knocked out of whack when COVID got going. The Micronesian Games joins a long list of postponed events due to, you guessed it, COVID. And later on... You know, once they start throwing punches at each other, oh, you know, I'm sure the crowd's going to erupt. Get ready to rumble. Two iconic boxers prepare for their fight in Papua New Guinea. The world's top scientists from the United Nations have released a new report saying it's the final warning to act urgently on climate change. But Greenpeace says the report is repeating what the Pacific already knows that the impacts on the region is now at a crisis level. Joining me is Shiva Gaundan, the Pacific Advisor to Greenpeace Australia slash Pacific. Bula Shiva, first of all, can you go into a bit more detail about what this report is all about? See, one thing that is uh, extremely clear in this final IPCC report, the synthesis report, is that uh, 1.5 degrees is still on the table. But we need to fight like our lives depended on it, just like the Pacific has done for decades. Uh, the path currently is very narrow now and it has been lit by the most vulnerable, most um, marginalised communities and the whole world needs to start walking this path of light. Now, I understand you were in Vanuatu when Cyclones Judy and Kevin hit and you were helping out with recovery efforts. Would you say that when it comes to climate change and the impacts it has on human rights, are Pacific people the most violated? Look, uh, uh, we all know our Pacific people are extremely resilient. You know, uh, that... that uh, the twin cyclones that hit Vanuatu, both were Category 4 and above. Uh, I think Kevin uh, reached Category 5 with, with over 230 kilometers of wind. Um, but after after the cyclone, you could see the smiles on people's faces because they're trying to pick up uh, whatever ruins that was left and to rebuild again. But this this spirit of resilience is starting to starting to become thinner and thinner. And there's this deeper hurt within our Pacific communities because of something that we have contributed the least. You know, the Pacific Pacific communities and the Pacific countries have contributed the least to climate change, yet they face the, the greatest consequences of climate issues across the world. Now, what exactly is new in this report, particularly for the Pacific? The, the previous reports have been very dire. Uh, one thing that is extremely important in this in this one is that there is still a little bit of hope. You know, um, I know they touch on the technology, etc. But one thing, one thing, like I said, is there's this hope of still being able to reach 1.5 degrees. There will be a period uh, after 2030 when it will overshoot. Um, that temporary period is called the overshoot period. But we can bring it down if we cut emissions extremely rapidly. You know, so uh, no fossil fuel, uh, so no coal, uh, coal, oil, and gas, no new coal, oil, and gas projects. Um, and, but if we are continuing in the current trajectory, we are not only going to go fractionally beyond 1.5, but go way beyond 2 degrees. And that will have extremely devastating impacts on the Pacific communities that are already, um, or that can already see the impacts of climate change right now. Um, especially the low-lying atolls. For example, Tuvalu, I was just there a few days ago, and you could see how sea level rise is deeply impacting the cultures, the identities, and the languages of these communities. They can't grow their own food um, because the, uh, the ocean is seeping into the land. Uh, that means the salinated water is not allowing for any uh, crops to be grown. 
and the land is then seeping into the ocean, which means it's uh, devastating the marine biology of Tuvalu itself. And it's, it's ironic, but it's very sad as well, because in the Pacific, we are deeply connected to two really important things which uh, shape our identity, and that's the the uh, Wasawasa or the Moana, which is our ocean or saltwater, or our Vanua or Fanua, which is our land. And currently, these two things are in conflict with each other, and it's a conflict that we have least contributed to. Um, so the Pacific people, like I said previously, contribute the lowest in terms of um, emissions, global emissions, but are facing the greatest threat to the culture, their lives, their livelihoods, and and the future of the survival. You know, so. Um, Personally, there's new things in the report in terms of what countries can do, uh, but the most important thing is that we need to phase out of all coal, oil and gas. Yeah, I mean, it's so admirable that the Pacific, us as Pacific people, we have this great resilience and hope. But I mean, how many reports does it have to take for climate action to happen, given that there's already been six reports from the IPCC since 2018? I've, I've deeply thought about this, actually. Uh, we can't keep being briefed about these reports and not do anything about it. You know, we, we can't keep going to conferences to negotiate for our lives. Uh, the strongest action needs to be taken by the world, and there's no better time than now. The best time for climate action was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. We have to stop filling the pockets of the very few, which is the fossil fuel order, and we need to start thinking about the lives that we are sacrificing when we are doing that. And these are not just hundreds of lives. These are millions of lives, lives across the world and millions of lives of the most vulnerable and most marginalized communities. We need to stop the talk and we need to stop just having these reports brief, uh, the brief of these reports but, and start going into strongest actions across the world so that climate justice can be realized for our Pacific family. Well, now, what outcomes are you seeking from this final report? What tangible outcomes? Look, the world, world can... Pacific Island nations have always shown leadership when it comes to uh, fighting for climate justice, not just for our people, but people across the world who are facing all this climate impact. And there are a few tangible things that can be done to ensure that. And one is, like I said, to phase out of all local fuels, coal, oil and gas by 2030. Um, even before that, it's much more better. We need to stop all new coal, oil and gas projects that are um, that are being planned. And finally... The world can stand together hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, with the Vanuatu government and thousands of civil society organizations, um, and also now co-sponsored by 117 other countries across the world, including Australia, to take the world's biggest problem of climate change to the world's highest court, which is the International Court of Justice. Uh, they are seeking an advisory opinion to, um, to make clear what states' responsibilities are when it comes to climate change and human rights. And these are not just human rights for um, the, our generation currently, but for future generations. There's this beautiful concept in Samoa where, where when a baby is born, the umbilical cord, which is called the fenua, the same word that we use for ancestral land, fenua, the umbilical cord of this baby is taken to the ancestral fenua, the ancestral land, and planted there. This is the first connection for that young child when it comes to what the ancestors stood for, what they paved for the future generations, and climate change is wiping out these lands and wiping out these opportunities. This advisory opinion is fighting for just that. It's to, it's to try and save our communities, save our cultures, save our traditional practices, our languages, and importantly, our fenua and our moana, so that the future generations can live a life of dignity and continue practicing this proudly.
the 10th Micronesian Games scheduled for this July in Majuro and the Marshall Islands have been postponed, possibly to April next year. The Games Council Secretary-General Joey Miranda says after recommendations from the Marshalls Island government and other stakeholders, they realise the event can't be delivered this July as promised. He says the Marshalls government reports that with the construction challenges due to the COVID-19 pandemic over the past two and a half years, the Games need to be delayed. A correspondent in the Marshall Islands is Giff Johnson, and he spoke with Don Wiseman about the issues the organisers have faced. He says it's the second postponement for Maturo. It was originally scheduled to happen in 2022, in the July period, and last year it was bumped to July for this year. And now it's been agreed to announce a postponement probably until April. And the key thing in this seems to be the fact that the two main sports facilities, one is a track and field and a baseball field, they don't think they can have that ready and also the national gymnasium which was being rebuilt they don't think they'll be able to have them ready uh, before july and the problem has been first everything was just knocked out of whack when covid got going and i mean these got going in maybe the end of 2021 or something and you know, they were starting to move along, but everything here has been bollocked up, just like everybody in the in the world has had problems. But those of us at, kind of at the end of the world's supply chains have not only seen the prices go out the window, but just have had difficulty getting things in. And they have constantly struggled to get the construction supplies and materials in, but also specialized things that they need for certain types of sports facilities. And most recently, we're now in a ongoing six-week U.S. Federal Aviation Administration grounding of Asia Pacific Airlines, which was our air cargo carrier. So we're we're not getting a lot of mail in. The hospital right now is in crisis because it can't get medicines and supplies in. Uh, And Yesterday, the president signed a declaration of a state of emergency to do with the cargo situation and directing that a whole bunch of steps be taken to source alternate air carriers to get cargo and mail into the Marshall Islands. And it isn't just here. Asia-Pacific Airlines grounding also affects the FSM and Palau, maybe as well as Guam. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just like these things keep happening. What's the story with Asia Pacific Airlines? Why are they grounded? <laughs> well, as far as I can tell the story, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration gave Asia Pacific Airlines a December deadline to supply documentation to show that both the training and certification pilots that they use were properly certified and therefore that the pilots who actually fly the APA planes were also certified. Well, there was a, there were issues getting the paperwork, so APA then recertified all of its uh, the, the training pilots as well as the regular pilots in January and did a whole recertification, at least this is from the documents that are now in the legal proceedings. And they then submitted all of this documentation to the FAA at the end of 
January, but within a day or so of that stuff being submitted, FAA had already grounded them. And I think what happened was that they missed the FAA's deadline in December, which started a process for the FAA, which is just its standard airline review process. So they're grounded, and now they're in a paperwork battle with the FAA, and, I mean, who knows if they're getting an audit done on their flight, all their planes, all their pilots. I mean, it could be over tomorrow, and they could be back up and running, or they could be grounded for six months. So it's it's just very hard to tell what the outcome will be at this stage. All right. So the president's issued a state of emergency. What will that entail? My understanding of it is that essentially it's to activate various ministries in support of the cabinet's aviation task force to source uh, alternative uh, air carriers to begin providing cargo services to the Marshall Islands. And now with the grounding of Asia Pacific Airlines, the countries learned a bit of a lesson about being dependent on one supplier. The APA has been great and they fly fresh tuna out of here as well as carrying mail and cargo but now you know it's been february 1 they they were shut down and it's march 17 so we're going on two months and it's really problematic to get things in right now i mean some mail is coming in on the regular carrier but everything's jammed up because of it and that does have a spillover effect onto the micronesian games preparation uh, in terms of the facilities and there probably are other issues but i got off the phone not like a few minutes ago with the chairman of the micronesian games organizing committee here in the marshall islands tony muller who's a member of parliament uh here in the marshall islands and he said, let's postpone it, take a little bit of time, and let's do it right. Let's not try to do it in you know, July when we, we know we're not going to be ready. It's better just to make the move and do it right. And it's hard to argue with that, but it's, not, you know, it's also not a great uh, conclusion that they've had to postpone it twice now. You say that the hope is to have the Games in April next year. Is Marshall Islands guaranteed of that happening in the Marshall Islands? They want to host the Micronesian Games. I don't think there's any question about that. And the facilities that they are building should be world-class. The track field is an international standard thing, and, and so I think they definitely want to do it, but they feel they just need more time to put it on properly. So I think there's definitely a commitment to do it. I mean, the government's put a lot of money into the sports facilities, many millions. I don't really know how much, but uh, a lot of funding into it. So it certainly would like the games to go ahead. It's being billed as the man versus the Pac-Man and touted as a Las Vegas Knights in the Pacific. If you're not familiar with boxing, the Pac-Man is Filipino eight-time world champion Manny Pacquiao and the man is Australian former super middleweight champion Anthony Mundine and they're set to box an exhibition in Port Moresby in June. They've reportedly agreed terms and just need to sign the contracts. Both men are now well into their 40s and neither have fought for two years. RNZ Pacific's Craig Stephen caught up with the promoter, Peter Maniatis, and started off by asking him where the planning for the event was. So we're talking about uh, Manny Pacquiao versus Anthony Mundine in June. How certain are you that that will take place? 
look, any event, there's no guarantees of anything, but um, the people in Papua New Guinea, Oceana Promotions, the Papua New Guinean government, the sports minister, Honourable Pike, they've, uh, they've made videos and committed to the project in June. Um, it's just based upon the fact that they want to improve the the sporting facilities in Papua New Guinea. Obviously, if this fight takes place, it's going to be at the rugby football stadium, and then they're going to have to upgrade that as well, which and also upgrade the areas around there. So, um, and it also brings in a lot of tourism for the country, and also the you know ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen year old Papua New Guinean boys and girls that are going to come on and and watch two really popular great sportsmen, superstars. That's going to give them motivation in life to obviously try and high achieve as well. Both are now retired and both are in their 40s. So um, essentially the, the fight is trading on their names rather than sort of like the current reputations because they're, they're not the, obviously the forces that they used to be. No, but look, it's, it's entertainment. And, and you, you know, when you see bands like, um, you know, Rolling Stones and, um, you know, Elton John or, or whoever, you know, they, they come and perform now ACDC, they, these guys are past their best as well, aren't they? But they still sell out venues and, and the fans still feel entertained. And this is a, a boxing exhibition between two guys who have got exceptional skills and people want to see them because they're celebrities as well. They're not just boxers. I mean, they're, they're icons and, they're, you know, they're superstars, sportsmen. So people just get excited to see them. And, you know, once they start throwing punches at each other, you know, I'm sure the crowd's going to erupt. So it does sound as like it's more of an entertainment event rather than about the boxing. It, it's not for the, the purest who like their boxing, you know, a high standard, oh, look, world title fights, etc. Look, these guys are like they're, they're premium pound for pound stars. So they've got big, big egos. They're used to winning. I mean, Anthony was a first grade, highest paid first grade football player back in the, in the late 90s. Manny Pacquiao is the only eight-division world champion in boxing and everything Manny does, whether it's chess, whether it's billiards, you know, whether it's playing basketball, he's got like, he hates to lose. So even if it's just a friendly game of marbles, he wants to win. And Anthony's the same. So you get those two guys in the ring, you know, that's going to be beamed all around the world. They're not going to be taking a backward step. The the ego and adrenaline kicks in and the sporting competitiveness of both of them, they're winners. So, you know, they're not, it's not going to be, you know, it's still going to be a, a high-quality match. It's going to be better than what you're going to see because it's it's between two exceptional athletes. Both of them have not fought for two years, and Mundine yep. lost his last fight on a, a – I think he lasted about two minutes against um, Michael Zarafa. So he's not coming into the fight with a great deal of form, and, and who knows how much that defeat and other defeats had have had on him. Well, when he fought Michael Zarafa and when he fought Jeff Horn, that was at 72 kilo, which is, you know, um, 160 pounds. So this fight is at 174 pounds. So this fight's at light heavyweight. Manny's actually going to spot Anthony Mundine, oh, uh, up to eight or nine kilo, which is 18 pounds. So when you, you've got to realise when a fighter gets old and you weather them down and they lose weight and they do weight crashes, their body shuts down because they're, they're old. That's why he was only going one round. If that fight was up at 79, 80 kilo, he, he'll perform. I mean, we saw him against Danny Green up at 79, 80 kilo. Even though Danny Green was 83 kilo, he performed brilliantly that night in Adelaide in front of 28,000 people So because he didn't have to do the weight crash. 
So this will be at 79 kilos. So Anthony won't have to do a weight crash. Believe me, he, he'll perform a lot better than what he did than right. having to lose seven, seven kilo in his, you know, in his 40s. That's, that, that's a big ask on your body. In terms of money, I mean, I, I imagine that uh, both these guys are going to earn quite a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, they, they will. They're going to earn some real good money. So, I mean, it's till they sign the contract, it's, you can't really um, say how much money, but they're, they're going to be making very, very good money. Very right. good money. So if I was to take maybe a, a wild guess, maybe a million dollars each perhaps or more? I can't comment <laughs> on that, but... Yeah, let, let's just say it's in a millions, yeah. Right, cool, cool. Okay, and uh, I mean, last thing is, I mean, uh, just to sum up, I mean, this is, sounds like it's going to be a, a great occasion and um, a, a great event for people in Papua New Guinea and, and everywhere. It will, and, and the, the good thing about it is it brings people to Papua New Guinea and, and it, it gives them a look and the local Papua New Guinean people a, a chance to think that, you know, we can compete with other parts of the world. We can get world champion athletes here. We can get a Las Vegas type of feeling and have our one big dance, in, you know, in the park just once. And we saw it in 74 with the rumble in the jungle in Zaire with uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. No one thought, you know, they could do it. And they, they did do it. And guess what? A year later to the date, October 1975, President Marcos put down 10 million US and he got Muhammad Ali and, Joe Frazier for the Thrill in Manila. And I mean, look, it's, it's just, it's, it's a landmark situation for a country like Papua New Guinea to be able to say that they've got two exceptional athletes in Port Moresby to have an exhibition fight. It's, you know, it's, it's a real credit to them if they can pull this off and, and get it going. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or download for free to device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to rate the show on Apple so others can also find us. For Fitzai Lover, Tsofa Soifua.